0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to Red Inca. I'm Jared Kimber. This podcast has adverts, but if you prefer your podcast without, in the show notes you'll see the link to my Patreon page and you can listen to our chats uninterrupted. Patreon also comes with many other benefits as well, including a Discord channel and private chats with me. But now, the show. This
0: episode of Red Inca, we look at what age batters are best. And it is not a straightforward topic, so we get on a master analyst to
1: take us through it.
2: I'm Amol Desai. I'm a product manager at Zealous Analytics, working on their uh, cricket platform. I'm also a research and data science leader in the tech industry. And when I'm doing none of those things, I am studying the game using data
0: and writing about it. We look at average batters, great batters, selectors, pace
1: versus spin, and a lot of time is spent on Graham Hick. You looked at batters' peaks in Test cricket, and I think you found some interesting things. I think the general consensus in cricket is the batter's peak around the age of 28 to 31, and You kind of proved that's true and not true at the same time, and we'll get into exactly what that means. But essentially, what you really found was that most batters actually peak in their early 20s.
2: That's right. Yeah. Most batters peak in their early 20s. I would say the average batter peaks in their early 20s, is how I would put it. Um, Really good batters can peak later, and and we'll get into that, as, as you said. And really
1: bad batters don't peak at all, so it doesn't matter.
2: They get weeded out. Yeah. So...
1: The reason that we think that batters peak between the age of 28 and 31 is because we're focusing on the best players of all time, right? But what yep. you're saying is, if you, and you looked at first-class numbers or just test numbers?
2: I looked at both. Yeah. Yeah. We can get into that uh, if, you, if you want. But I, I I did look at both. I focused on test numbers for batters batting in positions one to six. Yeah. And then I compared these batters with the same guys batting in in, in first-class cricket and Batters who are just first-class batters, uh, so domestic first-class is what we are talking about. Who didn't
0: play Test cricket at all? So essentially, there is there's a very big difference
1: between an average batter and, let's say, the top batters in first-class cricket or Test cricket. And it would seem to be that there is in, and I'm just, I, I'm just guessing based on your research here, but it feels like to me that there is a very basic level of skill that you have to have as a batter. You have to be able to cicade your eyes. You need to be able to have fast reflexes, your feet, hands, all those sorts of things, right? And then once you get to 23 or 24, it's then whether you can match that with the sort of superhuman stuff that we hear about Bradman and George Headley and, you know, uh, Javid Meandad and all that sort of stuff. Those little things, like the old thing about Graham Gooch batting at the end and saying to Nasser Hussein, just look at the way he puts the ball in his fingers. And Nasser Hussein looking up going, what? What are you even looking at? That sort of stuff really comes on later, doesn't it? So it it feels like just a normal batter, let's say someone who has a 10-year career in first-class cricket as a batter, comes in when they're about twenty twenty one 21 and leaves in their early 30s. Their best years of batting
2: are going to be when they're at their peak
1: sort of athletic prime.
2: They are actually going to be improving a lot early on and then they start that decline. So it is about how high of a peak they can hit because you're going to fall off anyway. Everybody's going to decline. If you're going to decline from a higher peak, then you are going to be above average for a longer period in your career and have a more successful career. That's kind of what we are seeing here. I've been listening to Shane Watson's uh, podcast from I think a couple of years ago where he goes and talks to cricketers who played around the same time as he did. And I'm seeing a common thread come out there. And the common thread is that they are all talking about how good they could have been if only they knew certain things that they know now that they didn't know before. And so there's like this, Physical aspect of improvement and batting well, and then there's this, uh, I guess, it's a maturity aspect of it where b- batters kind of understand the game and their game a lot better as they become more mature. They've spent more time you know, in the system. They've only been able to spend time in the system if they are actually that good. At that level, and so now they have access to you know coaches and performance centers and, and you know academies and, and things like that that are also at an elite level, and so they form a better understanding of the game. So I think that also helps them prolong their careers, but also help them have um, later peaks.
0: Mm. Well, I think the other thing is that I think a lot of batting is subconscious, as in.
1: They don't know what they're doing. Like when I've asked batters and I've really tried to get them to drill down, they're just like, no, I'm just looking roughly in this area. Like Matt Pryor. So we know Matt Pryor is an above average test batter. And I've talked to him and talked to him and talked to him. And it took forever to him eventually just for him to tell me, oh, yeah, there's a box that I look at. And I was like, okay, this is what I need. And he's like, well, I think, you know, a lot of players do it. I said, yeah, explain what it is. And he said, well, I kind of have like, it's almost like I focus my eyes in around where the ball is moving and the the bowler's hand as they're coming in. And you could see him kind of—he would never quite admit this—but he was kind of working it out as he was explaining it. And he's obviously an above-average player who does think a lot about batting and had a lot of theories and all that sort of stuff. But you could see that for a lot of players. And I remember talking to Dr. Cheryl Calder, where she was talking about how, like, top players when they get out of form, it's because they've actually forgotten, what, like, one of those subconscious things that they're already doing—they don't know that they're doing. So when you're talking about the Shane Watson batters, that's kind of what they're saying: "Is oh, now I realise what I should have just done is this." But at the time, I didn't even realize I'd stopped doing that. And that's a really interesting part of it. And as I said, that's when the athletic
0: gifts sort of change over to this sort of, what do they call it now? Um, brain elasticity and, and all those sorts yeah. of things.
2: And it's how did he use those athletic abilities, right? Did Matt Fryer know about this, you know, looking at the box when he was at 20, he was in 18, or did he figure it out when he was 25? So all of these things, I guess, play in as well. Like all of us in in any profession, at some level, we have to figure out what works for us. So everybody will be different. It's about, you know, how early you can figure that out and leverage it as soon as you can. And then maybe your role changes, Your you know you, what performance means to you changes. So when we talk about batter speaking, I looked at test averages, right? I, I looked at average, bat- so, you know, runs per wicket. There are obviously several other measures that you can look at especially in non-first-class formats. And then we can get into biometrics and all sorts of things, but you can essentially look at how players age using any kind of performance metric. Here, we use an output, a run output, or batting average as a performance metric, but there's several other things that can kind of feed into that, right? Yeah, no, exactly.
1: The other thing that you said that was quite interesting, and I never really thought about this, but actually thinking back, it makes sense. We talk about players' peak a lot. And in some ways, it kind of means the same thing. But what you're talking about is the best players don't really have a peak. So a young player, let's say at 21, they might average 30. And at 24, they might average 38. Right. And then the next year, they average 35. And then it's 34. And as you say, it drops off quite quickly. The best players average 35, 45, 50. And then what they end up doing is they average, let's say, between 45 and 50 for six years right? Give or take, you know, they might have a couple of peak little years where they have a good series or whatever, but more or less, if you look at the rolling averages, it's quite steady all the way through. That seems like a big difference between the top players and the, again, what do what we call the other guys? The replacement level, that is.
2: Yeah. So top players, if I remember correctly, um, and we can refer back to the article, I, I took the top 100 players and compared their aging curve with the average player's aging curve. The average player peaked at 22 and then there was a decline the top player peaked at 29 so the, the top 100 so this includes you know the gangulis the calluses um,
0: what are two different random players to pick there
2: <laughs> so one is at the top of the top 100 the other one's at the bottom of the top 100 you can figure out who's who
1: i think everyone on twitter will figure it out and abuse you for it especially people from kolkata but continue
2: yeah so Those guys peak at 29 years of age, but they have a peak that lasts three to five years, as opposed to the average player that peaks at 22, the decline almost starts straight away, right? So 23, 24, at 25, they're already, you know, into like a three-year decline.
1: Yeah, I mean, again, I I find that really, really interesting. That's the... I think the, the, the other peak things I sort of understood the other, and the difference between the at- replacement level players and the top batters I understood, but I found that really, really interesting. So batters with an average of higher than 35 by the age of 25 also decline sl- at a slower rate than an average batter. So again, this goes back to the difference between the physical skills to be a professional batter and the mental skills, right? If you have the ability to average over 35, you probably already have a few advanced mental skills. At a young age, which means that even if your physical decline does come and you, you know, your back gets sore and your knees creak and your fingers are all broken and everything, you're not gonna lose the actual mental skills, which means you can hang around for a little bit longer.
2: Yeah, and, and you probably have a lot of stories to tell. I've heard anecdotes of you know players in first class cricket. Some of them made it to the test level, some of them did not, but these guys started young and even at like ages of, you know, 10 and 12. These guys are playing university level, club level games, but you know, they were batting for a full day and 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 you know, batting hundred overs, you know, scoring tons and, and so on. So to have that level of concentration application at 10 or 12, um, you know, it just makes them exceptional. And then test cricketers probably started earlier. Um, they did better when they were younger, um, they acquired some of these skills earlier. And again, goes back to you're gonna decline. So it's about how high can you get when you're on that improvement part of the curve. And the premise here big behind this whole study is that players have a phase where they improve year over year, they hit a peak, and then beyond that, they start declining year over year. And obviously every single player is not going to fit this, right? And you will have performances that are flashes in the pan, and you will have players that actually can do you know, better as they age because of several reasons. So you'll have a lot of anomalies. So uh, a lot of this is talking about what happens to Uh, Well, what is expected of an average player playing test cricket? Mm. And the other thing you talk about is, well, I I should say
1: the one thing in your research that is very consistent with what people think is that that peak batting age is 28 to 30. And that's kind of what you prove. But as it is, it is only the top batters. And so from that perspective, you have to almost in your research and separate the two different species of batters, right? Let's say you're working with a first-class team, and I know you've worked with some teams and, and you know, worked with me before and, and some other people as well. But if you're working for uh, a setup of first-class cricketers, you're going to be looking for indicators that these players are reaching some sort of, uh, at, you know, beyond the age of t- at 23, 24, 25, you're going to be looking for them to be continually putting runs onto their average, aren't they? And if you're not seeing that, you're probably going to be suggesting that this player is someone who won't get it. Is that fair?
2: Is that how you look at it? That is how I would look at it. And I think the selectors are actually doing a pretty good job. So I looked at a separation between players who were picked before 22 and players who made it to the test sites, uh, the respective test sites before they were 22. And I think about 20%, if I'm not wrong, 20% of all players made it to the test site before they were 22 years of age. Most made it after, I think uh, by about 25 years of age is where, where we land up. If you look at, both of these sets of players separately, you will see that the players who started early do make it to the you know, uh, set of elite players that we were talking about earlier. In fact, these, play- these are the players that have a little bit more of an improvement curve early on. They have an extended uh, or, or uh, a later peak, and they have an extended peak as well. So it's more of a plateau than a peak, if you will. Mm. The players who started after 22, which is, again, most players, they start on a decline right away or the average player that uh, mm. I should qualify this every time I say this because people will find anomalies and then they'll kind of yeah. uh, you know say say that this is wrong. But the average player that starts after 22 starts on a declining curve right away. And the
1: other thing that, and this is one I always disagree with, and I've seen it disproven before your piece as well, and I've probably written about it as well, is that there's another theory that test batting gets, or first-class batting and test batting gets better in the 30s. And this never made any sense to me because essentially the only players who are left batting in their 30s are already the best players in the world. So I think this is a stats guru issue. When we all got stats guru at first, you know, we we're all playing around and someone probably went, well, let's, what's the average for a player who's 31? What's the average for a player who's 33? What's the average for a player who's 36? But a player who's 36 and is still playing in Test cricket is probably one of the greatest batters of all time to begin with. You're not going to get many scrubs who were playing in test cricket or even first-class cricket at that age. And so it completely warps the numbers, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, there's a couple of things there. So yes, uh, to reiterate what you're saying, if you pick older batters, you will have elite batters who survived through time, right? So they have been performing well and they are good. And cricket does have a tendency to kind of um, let players kind of rest on their past laurels. And and so we do persist. And and I found this while I was looking at uh, the data as well. One thing that we do here with the the method that I used is I look at improvement, year over year improvement. And so any player who hasn't played in two consecutive years gets removed from from the data set. So if you have a player that has shown an improvement in a year, they are more likely to get picked the next year. And they are also more likely to show a regression back to the mean, to their personal mean. And so they are more likely to decline in the next year. Now, if you take a player who has not performed well this year, they are more likely to be removed from the team the next year. But they are also the player who is more likely to see an improvement the next year because they're going to regress to their mean. So that is the expectation. But when I started looking at the data to see how to handle this particular bias, I found that cricket doesn't have that big of a problem. We do persist with players um, longer than some of these other sports um, uh, do. And so we yeah. we see less of this problem where, where players get weeded out as soon as we see a decline in performance.
0: Yeah, I think some of that has to do with international sport as compared
1: to franchise sport as well, doesn't it? And you know I, and I so I do think there is a different thinking when it comes to those sorts of things. So for instance, if you're in a franchise and you know you've got a player who's let's say Kyle Ro was a franchise test player at the moment, India probably may not drop him. they may treat him. Or, you know, they may bench him for a while and, you know, trade for another player who will come in and do that. In international cricket, they're probably looking at it going, okay, he's averaging 34, but we still think he's in our best seven specialist batters. So we're going to give him a little bit longer. So it's a different kind of structure than some of those other sports, isn't it, from that perspective?
2: Absolutely. And, And that's exactly why, going back to your original point, older batters have a larger proportion of batters who are really good. If you look at younger batters, there are more vanilla batters in there that are yet to be weeded out or they are yet to become good batters and so on, right? So they're yet to mature. Um, So you have a larger population of average and below average batters in your data set at at a younger age, which plays into the numbers that we were talking about earlier, right? So the traditional way of looking at this has been that you look at every age year and for that age year, you look at the average, the batting average of a player. There's also a difference actually between looking at the average batting average and the batting average of the average player.
1: Mm.
2: In the batting average of the average average player, you take the batting averages of all players and take the average of that. In the other one, you will essentially just take the average. You, you sum up the total number of runs and divide it by the total number of wickets, and that's your average batting average. So and when people have looked at this from all, all of these perspectives, they haven't looked at it in terms of player improvement. And the reason that comes into play, I think, is because when you start looking at... All of these players at their different ages together. You also are combining players who are at a you know 30 to 40 average kind of a player, and players who are you know 40 plus average players. So so you're not normalizing across your players. So you you don't know how they are improving. So there's no discussion of a peak here at all. You are also not normalizing for conditions and you know, home games versus away games. So you have players who may have played like 10, 20 games a year, but they've played two home series or two home series against weaker oppositions versus somebody who's played two away series in much tougher conditions. And now you're kind of taking all of that data and, and pushing it all together. So that creates uh, a bunch of bias as well. Yeah. I mean,
1: I, I, th- I think that's very fair. Can you explain your overall method through the medium of Graham Hick?
2: Yeah. So I, I've used Graham Hick there as an example. I don't have the numbers on me right now, but I can go back and explain what I, what I did there, right? So I have essentially created a model to eliminate some of the noise and biases that we just talked about, which is how do you handle different conditions and different years? Uh, There's also been a trend in test cricket where the averages change over time. So I think uh, the 90s uh, and the 2000s, so 2000s had a higher batting average than the 90s. Could be because of where the games were played, could be because batters were doing something different. I haven't looked into that but but there is a trend there as well so what i did here was create a very rudimentary model and and i'm hesitating even calling it a model but what i did here is group a bunch of conditions together so i think i used uh, the calendar year the match innings so one two three four the continent in which games were played and the level of the game so in test cricket doesn't matter it's it's all test cricket and the batting position so batting position i kind of categorized as opening upper middle lower middle and so I used all of these factors and for each group that this resulted in, I computed the overall batting average and called that the expected batting average. And then for a player, so let's say a hick, I computed the same thing, but for that particular player and essentially created a plus minus measure. So what is the batting average above expectation for a particular player, right? And so once I have this across their their ages, so for a particular player at a given age, so, uh, you know, Hick at a 25, 26, 27, 28, each of those years will have some kind of average above expected average. And so you you have that string. Then the next thing I did on top of that was to normalize across players. I took the improvement curve. So I took deltas between each age year. So uh, what is the improvement between a 25 to a 26, 26 to a 27, 27 to a 28, and so on. And w- when I do this across all players, now you are bringing the player who's a 40 average player and the player who is a 30 average player on the same kind of um, level playing ground. There is obviously, you know, you can have a discussion around, you can, instead of taking the raw, raw deltas, you could take percent delta. So you could argue that an improvement of five runs of average for a 30 average player is different than uh, an improvement of five or a forty average player, and, and so on. But that would be a different, and, and you can kind of argue about about these things and, and come up with what we wanted to. Uh, but I did not. I, I took a I took a delta, um, a raw delta, and so now you have an improvement curve. So what this looks like, if you actually plot this out and and run uh, a regression through it, it looks like a downward sloping curve. And and you could have, you know, the curve, uh, it can be more complicated than that, but uh, roughly speaking, it's a downward sloping curve that crosses zero. And what it means is the part that is before the zero, which is still downward sloping, but positive, Mm -hmm. it means that you have been improving during that time. When you hit zero is when you hit peak. And as you decline beyond zero, that is corresponding to some negative improvement, which is when your decline starts. So this lets you pool improvement numbers for every player at every age that they played in. And it's important to kind of pull this together. One, one thing that we see in cricket is most players, uh, most test cricketers have played for really short periods of time. So, mm-hmm. you know, more than I think 80, 85% of players have played less than a decade, which is less surprising. But then I think about 75% of players have played more than five consecutive years of test cricket. And then so pooling you know, all of these numbers together helps you create a large enough data set. Um, Otherwise, if you look at individual players, you're left with like, you know, bits and pieces here and there. Nobody's played like really long spans that you can go and look at.
0: So someone like Graham Hick. So he's obviously an above average batting talent. We
1: know Mm -hmm. that because he makes a hundred hundreds. He doesn't fizzle out at 23. But at test level, he probably looks more average. Right. So... My question is, should he have been dropped earlier on in test cricket because he, you know, he didn't have that game. Is there anything in your numbers that specifically, because he's, for those who don't know, Graham Hick, because he was Zimbabwean and he chose to play for England, he had to qualify for England and it was before the days where England would cheat for qualification like they did with Joffrey Archer. And so it meant that he played, but also we actually have incredible data about him because we have data from Zimbabwe first-class cricket, English first-class cricket, and he played Sheffield Shield for Queensland. We have this incredible data that most first-class cricketers never, ever have. He gets to test cricket and it just doesn't work. We see the odd innings that is absolutely brilliant, but overall he ends up with a very replacement level sort of record as a test middle-order batter. So, you know, at the end of all that, everything you've just said, where does Graham Hick kind of fit in from that perspective? Because his career is so bizarre compared to a normal arc.
2: Yeah, and which, which is exactly why I am really hesitant when it comes to using this for individual players, right? right. I, I don't think this is something that I would want to kind of apply to an individual, especially anomalies like a Graham Hick, but I think for, for a lot of other players. What I would use this for is to set up team composition, uh, determining team, team composition and making sure that we are set up well for the long run in terms of you know rolling over from older players to younger players, when we do that, how we manage players within a team roster and so on. Uh, the other place that I would probably use this for is in terms of like high performance uh, centers and academies and, and so on. There's going to be limited resources that every national board has. So how do we use that in a, in a more optimal fashion or a more efficient fashion? I think that's where this becomes applicable because there's going to be limited resources and you want to spend differently across players that are in different age groups. We also want to have them working on you know different skills, but that's a totally separate kind of study that we would have to go into.
1: You say that you wouldn't use it individually, but, and I'm going on county cricket because county cricket has the best first class data, right? You see a lot of players come through in county cricket at 18, 19, 20, 21, and they're averaging, you know, low 40s at that stage, right? And then you look at their career two or three years later and they're averaging the 30s. And I see that a lot. And for me, I've never really understood what the problem is. Now I would be able to understand a lot more. And I'd be saying, you know, if this guy's averaging 50 when he's 21, then I'm I'm willing to take a chance on him. But if he's averaging 38, 42, I'm gonna wait until he's 23 or 24 to see if he's a legitimate batting talent or not.
2: Yeah. And and that's selection, right? So that's a slightly different problem than the Graham hit problem that you just described, if I understand it correctly. So when when you're talking here, you're talking about like how do I get this guy into the, or should I wait until I get this guy into the into the test team or not? Mm -hmm. Um, And there, this is actually a really cool aid for for selectors, right? Because the elite players, the players who will make it to the test team and the players who will stay at the first class level and maybe do well, they start creating this separation between themselves pretty early on. And so this 22 to 25 age group is actually really critical where the players who do not make it to the test team actually start showing a decline in the first class setup as well. And the players who are going to make it to the test team continue their improvement. So one, actually a couple of things that that I saw here. A, the delta between the first class level and test level is huge. And and that's not, not a surprise. But B, the guys who made it to the test team. So the guys who have played a significant number of games in the test team. If you look at their first class career and their first class aging curve, then it looks Similar to those top hundred batters that we saw earlier, so these guys do peak at 29. They have a prolonged peak. They have a much flatter decline, whereas the rest of the first-class players who did not, who never played in Test cricket, they peak around 22, 23, and they have a much steeper decline. So you start seeing that separation pretty early, which is where, like, like you said, if you, if you are observing a player and and they are starting to decline there, you can kind of start making bets on whether you want to kind of wait for them to get in, get them into the test team or not yeah that that separation happens uh, early enough um.
1: i think what we've proved here is that for a normal player this mathematics makes a lot of sense and for graham hick it makes absolutely no sense which is very fair you just sort of threw this out casually but you said there's a big difference between first class and test level i think in your article you talk about a 25 runs per innings difference so what does that mean if someone averages
0: uh, cuz i couldn't quite get my head around that is that if they average 55 in first class cricket, they're
2: going to average 30 in test cricket? So the difference is uh, so this is for players who played in both uh, test cricket and first class cricket, right? And their peak is different by that, you know, 25, 25 run or, or whatever that average is. So the expectation would be that, so if a test cricketer who is performing at expectation, um, if an average test cricketer who is performing at expectation, that same person would peak at a later point in their career. So that 22-year-old will actually peak at a 29 in first-class cricket and their average would be about 25 runs above the expected average.
0: Oh, of the test okay. Okay. Yeah. So I understand that. That's probably why we see some of these outlier first-class
1: careers where these players are probably of a test level. But for what, you know, forward I'll, I'll, um, you know, those sorts of players where we see these sort of huge records. Uh, Mark Rampakash is probably another one as well. Another very confusing one to go on the Grand peak one. But, you know, again, so that's why they have those sorts of records is that they have peaked in their 30s, but they're no longer in the international team. And so compared to what someone else at the age
0: of 30 or 31 would do, they're worth 25 more runs. Okay, that makes a lot of sense.
2: Yeah. And that's also a good tool for them to use on, you know, where do I want to back? Uh, am I going to keep trying to get into the test team or am I going to go back to first class cricket and live out the rest of my career over there? Yeah. The other thing you said before is that selectors are pretty
1: good at identifying young batting talent. So we know that the majority of that is probably done off the eye test. Then they look a little bit at averages and everything else. And we also, you and I both know that there there are many better ways that they probably could even start to identify young batting talent. But when you've looked at this record, uh, you, you would say of that, well, what did you say? It was 20% of the cricketers who were picked before the age of 22. You would say that their selectors are doing pretty well. For what is, you can pick a player at 21 and you're absolutely certain that they're going to be a star and their life can change. They can change emotionally. You know, they can pick up an injury. They can lose confidence. But overall, predicting the future is pretty hard, but selectors aren't doing that bad a job.
2: Absolutely. So for that 20% of players, they are improving in their initial years. Then their decline is a lot flatter than the rest of the group. So I haven't looked at this by country or anything like that. I think that would probably throw out some surprises or... or...
0: I think every fan base would think their country is the worst,
2: right? (laughs) Probably, yeah, probably. But then, I mean, this pool of players who've started early also have a lot of prodigies in there, right? Like you you have the tendulkars in there. Yeah,
1: it's the old Cricket Australia thing of we will play our players earlier than England because we're looking for a 10 to 15-year player and England is going to grind their players into the ground before they pick them.
2: And they are also scrutinized more, right? So if as a selector, you're going to pick a player who is 18, 19, 20, you will probably have asked yourself and others will have asked you more questions on on why you're doing it. So these players probably go through a little bit more scrutiny than somebody who you're picking at a 25, who's done well in first class cricket for a longer period in time, who... More people have had a look at this eye test thing. If you're picking a player who's like 20, less eyes have yeah. seen that person. And if you're picking a person who's 25, like if Surfras Khan gets picked now, like everybody's looked at Surfras Khan. Everybody's talked about him. But maybe not so when he was a 21, 22 year old.
1: Yeah. Well, the other thing that I've always thought is that I don't mind young batters coming in as long as we're prepared that they're probably going to fail early on and that they're going to have to work it out. And the reason I don't mind young batters coming in is that. Test cricket is a different game than first class cricket. You know, the overseas part of it is one part. And the other thing is that, you know, it's very matchup dependent, right? I always tell the story about Ed Cowan like halfway through the first series against India going, Oh my God, Zaheer Khan's already worked me out and I've got another two and a half test matches to go up against him. In first class cricket, he wouldn't see Zaheer Khan for another three months, right? So it's a yeah. completely different situation from, from that perspective. So I don't mind that. I think the problem is when we bring young batters in and then we expect them to be in the team from the age of 20 to the age of 35, that isn't exactly how it's going to work because they are going to get worked. You look at Matt Renshaw, it was quite clear that he had a limited game and we're seeing other very young players come through. So I really like that. There's one really fascinating thing that you talked about and you could probably get uh, Crickviz to help you even more with this, but age when it comes to declining skills against pace and spin is a really interesting one. Players decline earlier against pace but they decline far more against spin, as in the pace is sort of a long curve and the spin is like, oh, we're really good against spin, now we're terrible against spin. My guess is that reflexes actually play a very big part when you're playing spin because you still have to react to the fact that the ball has just spun off the surface from a small distance, whereas you can't really react to a ball seeming all that much because of the extra pace. But I would guess that the two things, and, and this this is just from talking about it In fact, I had a chat with Kevin benison about this ages ago when we worked on Talksport, that the two things that decline the most are over 90 miles an hour bowling, right? Where if your body isn't moving quick enough, there's nothing you can do. And the other thing is spin, because you have to react so late to it every time the ball bounces. That spin side of it is more or less what you found in your numbers, isn't it?
2: I did, yeah. So, and, and this is all obviously speculation. All I have is these output numbers, like these, the, the average numbers to, to go by. I don't have biometric info or ball tracking info, would might, might, might help here as well in terms of like how the ball's reacting off the surface and how the batter's reacting and so on. But yeah, that's essentially what I found, right? So, to your point, I think one of the things I saw there is when we are talking about pace and reflexes, uh, reflexes are kind of honed in earlier in your career um, or even like as much younger batters not even in the test team and they leave you later so now you're just reacting to the ball you're not necessarily kind of uh, thinking about it against spin not only is it a matter of reflexes but it's also footwork and so now you have to rely on physical things like a hand-eye coordination like a quickness of your feet you know things like that against pace, it's more reactive where Yes, you have to move fast, but you don't have to think about it. It doesn't have to be. Yeah,
1: it's a different kind of decision making.
2: Yeah, it's a different type of coordination. It's more reactive. Mm. No, no,
1: I think that makes sense. The other interesting thing I thought about uh, your piece was world sport is changing, right? And batting should be a little bit like what Tom Brady has done in the NFL, which is there's a certain point when it is, as we said before, there's that sort of subconscious level, decision-making level, where Tom Brady can stand behind a line and he can see all these things that a normal 27-year-old quarterback can't see, right? Mm. And and your numbers suggest that that's basically what is already happening in batting, and that's why we see, you know, the great players play on to this age. So there is a possibility that knowing that, let's say, I'm trying to think of a cricket now, Kane Williamson, right? There is a possibility. New Zealand uh, have only ever produced one Kane Williamson. You put him in the top three of the top four batters New Zealand have ever had. He may be number one, right? His elbow is coming to the end. I think traditionally in cricket, everyone would go, oh, his elbow's coming to the end. You know, he'll retire soon and we'll let him go. Everything that your research tells me is that New Zealand should be doing everything they can to try and rehabilitate that elbow, even if it takes him a year and a half of not playing, right? Take him out of the game for a year and a half. Allow his elbow to recover and be fine and then do everything you can to allow him to be in a position where he can play until he's 42 or 43, because you're not going to be able to find another batting talent of that level. Or even if you do, you'll be able to find maybe one or two others. So you're actually better off to do that. Traditionally, because cricket was an amateur game, that's not what happened, right? It's like the old Dennis Lilly thing. When his back got hurt, Cricket Australia didn't do anything. They just went, well, we'll just go and find another fast bowler right? Which is ridiculous because it took them about 30 years to find another deadhead slowly, right? And looking at your numbers and what we know about brain elasticity and uh, the way that people, you know, problem solve as they get older and all these different things, if you can keep that body even semi-active and working, that's a much better option than throwing in the next 21-year-old and think he's going to be Kane Williamson. And I don't think cricket is quite at that level yet. Either The players who play on really late, they're such legends that even when they're clearly past it, we keep picking them. And we also, we don't let them rest for a year. We don't let them go and recuperate. They just keep coming back over and over again and and we
0: get uh, worse returns. Whereas actually looking after them correctly is probably the best option.
1: Is that how you see that sort of thing as well?
2: Yeah, and you talked about legends, right? So now now we are talking about players who yep. were clearly like way above the rest. There's a couple of things here. One, and I think you can kind of start making arguments both ways. So one is we tend to look at cumulative batting averages for players a lot more than we should. And these are always going to be lagging indicators. So if a batter has performed really well up front in their career, then... Even if they keep on declining, it's going to be a while until you realize if you just look at the cumulative, you know, batting average.
0: That's the, the Ricky Ponting thing. of He averages fifty eight, and then the next part of his career average is thirty five or whatever.
1: It, his overall average still looks really good, right?
2: Exactly, or or a Gavaskar, right? He never had that seventies series in the West Indies ever again. Like that was never repeated. Yes. Although now now we are talking about like the, the, he was. You know, great batter, there's a lot of great performances everywhere, uh, both in the Ponting case and the Gavaskar case, but they never played at that level ever again, or at least in terms of the numbers. Right? Yeah. So these things happen, and when we are biased by it, and it, we are less biased in case of these these greats and these legends, but we are more biased in terms of like places where we are unable to make a clear decision one way or the other, we, we tend to get biased. On the other hand, as you said, and as we talked about earlier as well, These players tend to hit really high peaks early on. And so it is important when we talk about this aging curve and peaks at 29 and then declines, especially. So we have to figure out what is that rate of decline. And even if you're falling really hard, you're falling from a pedestal that is so high that you're still way above average. Like a Tendulkar, I think in the last three or four years, maybe that he played test cricket he was on the decline compared to his own personal peaks. Like he was he was not improving in terms of the numbers that he was producing. Yunus Khan, I think, had that as well in his 30s. Yes, he was kind of producing really good numbers, but, you know, compared to his peers within those years. So this whole batting average above expectation thing that I came up with, I think uh, he, he was on a decline as well. But even with that decline, these guys were still performing better than that average player. And the average player in test cricket is, I think, has been around 29 years of age. If you if you wait by, you know, deliveries faced and innings played and all that, all that kind of stuff, 29 is the average age of a given player in test cricket. These guys were performing better than that average player. And so when, when we start talking about replacements, yeah. So if, if you can extend these players, you know, careers by, you know, two or three or four years, sure, they'll be on a decline. Kane Williamson may not be the same Kane Williamson that we know about today, but uh, he'll still be better than the next replacement batter that you're going to put in the team. So absolutely. Yeah. And and if you get more data on, you know, again, like we're just looking at batting averages. If you can go back and look at what part of the batter, like what skill is the one that is aging and how, then we can kind of work on those and, and try to push these careers even
0: longer. So instead of looking at cumulative average, what is a better version is something like a five match rolling average compared to their age or is it something else? Yeah, we, we
2: could look at something like that. I don't think it's an alternate metric that we need. I think we need a more like a complementary metric yep. so that we can use, you know, two or three of these things in, in conjunction. But yeah, a rolling average might be one. A seasonal average might be another like an uh, an average that is adjusted for, you know, home and away or against spin and pace, uh, you know, first class. And then even within first class, you have domestic first class, you have A games, which would be like on you know some of them may happen on like foreign soil and like tour games and then things like that that people may play in but yeah so adjusting for all of these levels and looking at each of these numbers separately instead of just saying yeah i just want one number and that's going to be the cumulative average will give you a better perspective on each player and let you kind of manage these guys much better in a better way perfect thank you very much for coming on the podcast. thank you thanks for having me
0: Thank you for listening.
1: There is more information on my guests in the show notes. Please support them where you can, but also support us. If you can't help out on Patreon, every single review, share, or word of mouth suggestion to your friend helps us. However, this podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inca is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. We also have a great support team from 42 with Rati Joshi on socials, Orijoti Senapia, and Meera Akam producing some of the shows and Makunda Banredi as the head of YouTube content. Our theme tune is by The Red Cricket.